The presented content does not provide or constitute medical, financial, or legal advice. The content is for information purposes only. Viewing or listening to the content does not constitute a physician-patient, dentist-patient, fiduciary client, or attorney-client relationship. Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about dysphagia is a hard pill to swallow is Olga Goncharov. Olga is a speech and language pathologist specializing in swallow disorders, accent modification, and speech therapy services for adults working to improve overall personal and professional communication skills. She has worked in several states and healthcare settings, currently residing in Northern Virginia and providing speech therapy services to clients via teletherapy and in acute care at three local hospitals. How are you doing today, Olga? Hi, Jason, very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for joining us today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I'm gonna turn it over to you. Dysphagia is a hard pill to swallow. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Um, I love this topic. Um, I work with patients uh, suffering from dysphagia and other conditions uh, daily in the acute care setting. So this is near and dear uh, to me and I hope you will learn a little bit of something as I go through and talk about dysphagia, also pronounced dysphagia uh, by some individuals, which is also correct. So um, let's just dive in. Um, what is dysphagia? And you may or may not know, it has uh, to do with the difficulty swallowing, your inability or challenge with managing the food as it goes to the mouth, from the mouth, to the back of the throat, and down to the stomach. So any stage of the swallow can be affected. And this picture actually speaks a thousand words where you see how sometimes the liquid can go down the wrong way. And we all have experienced that. We all feel like sometimes it just went down the wrong pipe. And that's when we start to cough or choke. And we experience one of the main symptoms of dysphagia is the coughing. Um, that's when the liquid starts to enter maybe a little too close to our airway. And uh, that's not good because <laughs> you don't want liquid or any food or any other bacteria from the mouth, uh, including your saliva or anything that you're swallowing to end up going the wrong way. So we want everything to go into the stomach. And when that becomes a challenge, then that is what we d determine as dysphagia and we have to address that. Now, uh, one thing to remember is that it is just a symptom, this sort of difficulty, if it's consistent and chronic and really becomes an issue, it really is a symptom that signifies that something else is going on in the body. It could be neurological, it can be uh, due to a trauma or something else that's going on, um, we need to investigate further sometimes. And any of these conditions can result in dysphagia, can lead to problem swallowing because sometimes um, it's associated with the difficulty in coordination of the breathing with the swallow. So for instance, if you are um, ending up in the hospital after a traumatic event, after an injury, any kind of accident, and you need, you require intubation, that is a breathing tube in your airway, or maybe even not intubation, but you just need a supplemental oxygen to help you breathe, that's gonna impact how you're gonna swallow. So we need to look at how well your respiratory function is doing and how you're coordinating the swallow, the breathing with the swallow, because you have to hold your breath every time you swallow. There's no way around it. I mean, you can't breathe and swallow at the same time. So that additional oxygen flowing in um, or that difficulty in really holding your breath 
is gonna impair your ability to actually swallow something. And you're trying to take a breath instead of trying to swallow, and that's when the liquid or food can go into the airway. So we need to sometimes work on that coordination. We um, also run into that issue now as we see more and more um, individuals with COVID. Unfortunately, this pandemic has created um, a lot of issues with respiratory function that impacts swallow for some of our patients. And other conditions, as you see listed on the screen, um, sometimes with any kind of neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's or ALS or MS, anything that really is a progressive type of disease in nature, it's gonna start to affect the swallow musculature, the motor coordination, the sensory input, everything that we are required to coordinate as we trigger the swallow. And that can start to deteriorate, so we need to address that as well. Um, any kind of head and neck cancers, anything that impacts the structures um, in the throat, and this is kind of interesting um, because as a speech therapist, you may think all I do is kind of work on speech and language and articulation. And while I do that, uh, the same structures are involved in swallowing as are involved in the speech. So we do need to look at um, both. And I introduce myself sometimes as a speech and swallow therapist to avoid that confusion. Um, so again, anything that impacts your overall uh, strength and mobility and neurological processes um, will affect the swallow. So when we talk about the swallow, as I mentioned, it comes in three stages that we mostly look at, but really it should be thought of as a whole kind of sequence. So if you would look at this video real quick, I'll explain how it should look. This is a video of a normal swallow, and I'm gonna just break it down for you um, real quick here. So let's take a look. As you start to prepare the food, and just one second. So when you put the food in your mouth or a liquid or whatever it may be, you're triggering the saliva to flow, to start to break it down. You're moving your tongue, uh, your lips close, and right there, you close off the passage to the nose so nothing comes back up and it all is directed down to the esophagus and hopefully that epiglottis folds over and you see how nicely that bolus makes its way down into the esophagus. And that's what we want. So here we saw all the stages of the swallow occurring really nice and slow. And that's what we assess when we look at how you're swallowing um, on any given, in any given situation. Now, if you're having any symptoms, that would alert us to um, difficulty swallowing. Those would include, like I mentioned, coughing and choking with any sort type of consistency you're eating, if it's solid or liquid, um, whatever it may be. That's a red flag, right? Sometimes it's not so obvious, and sometimes you may experience a little wetness in the voice, like your voice sounds a little gargly, like you're underwater. That's another sign that something went down the wrong way and into that airway. So when the vocal folds are vibrating, they run into a lot of water and it sounds like it's gargly voice. So we don't want that. Um, what happens at that point is sometimes you feel like you need to clear your throat and you do. So that's why we get a throat clear as a sign as well. And sometimes simply the effort that's required to chew the food, to process the uh, liquid, um, 
to get it to the back, to make sure it doesn't spill out of your mouth and to keep those lips closed, to chew the food well enough to prepare to, for the swallow. That's a lot of work, a lot of muscles are involved. So if there's any sort of overall deconditioning from, again, any neurological impairment, any um, issue with anything, trauma, uh, cancer, post-intubation, anything that may impact that strength, it will affect how you're chewing and swallowing. So that can alert us again to some difficulty. Um, any type of uh, esophageal symptoms, any GI issues where you're having a lot of reflux and regurgitation, so you're having pain, or are you feeling like something is stuck in your chest, in your throat, anywhere along here, that can be obviously a sign of dysphagia as well. Um, and then if you're having any challenges with breathing as you're trying to swallow and you can't catch your breath or you're getting out of breath, then that could be a big um, red flag as well. So when we talk about those symptoms, they really can result in uh, risks related to the, the difficulty swallowing, such as we talked about aspiration, liquids ending up in your lungs, that causes an infection in your lungs. Um, I will later talk about how aspiration alone does not cause an infection, it's the bacteria. So keep that in mind, it's okay. A lot of us do aspirate normally uh, and that's okay. As long as we're active and we our lungs can clear it, it we should be fine. Um, we definitely can experience less enjoyment with eating because of these deficits. And that takes away from maybe our socialization or our ability to enjoy meals with other people because it's such a social factor in our culture. And then of course we feel embarrassed or depressed and isolated because of that. So we start to eat less and then we run into issues of malnutrition and dehydration. We lose weight and then we end up in the hospital. So all of these things can really lead to a lot of um, challenging sort of snowball effects. Um, and more hospitalizations or trips to the emergency room, uh, which nobody wants. And um, I will mention that sometimes, while most of us do have these symptoms that we can kind of listen for or watch for, sometimes we can aspirate silently. And I think about, I want to say 20% of the population or so um, does normally aspirate. And sometimes it's silent. So when that happens, we don't feel anything. So our uh, reflexes don't kick in and we don't produce a cough. And, the, and that's it and nothing happens. And that's okay, sometimes. If you're certainly, if you're a patient who's in the hospital and you're having all these difficulties, then that's not okay. Um, but just keep in mind that sometimes aspiration can be silent and that's what we really assess for when we look at imaging, um, when we can tell the arrow on the bottom part is really pointing to that um, windpipe, the trachea. And you can see how when liquid ends up down there, that's aspiration. Anything above is not, and sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it can go down, but that's kind of the difference. We look for specifically that on, on uh, imaging, among other things. So when we talk about aspiration, I don't want you to panic because it's not scary as I make it sound. Um, it is something that we assess for and then can treat in most cases. But the real predictors of aspiration pneumonia, which is what is more concerning the infection in your lungs that we want to prevent, um, 
is the these factors listed here. There was a study done in 1998, actually a while ago, um, and since then we've come to know that really dysphagia is just one factor that's important in considering aspiration risks, but it's not the sole factor. So if you're someone that has difficulty with feeding yourself, because again, um, you may have had a stroke or a neuro neurodegenerative disease or trauma or any kind of issue, and you're dependent on somebody else feeding you, then that's gonna impact how you're preparing and triggering the whole swallow sequence. So that can lead to challenges coordinating the swallow. And if you're also um, suffering from any sort of uh, oral hygiene issues, that's gonna cause more bacteria to form in the mouth. And if you're asp aspirating that, that's gonna lead to an infection as well. So if you're dealing with a lot of different medical diagnoses, comorbidities, you're taking a lot of different medications or you're a smoker, that's gonna lead to more trouble um, with, with the risks of aspiration pneumonia. Um, if the tube feeding is up here as part of the list because when you're receiving nutrition through a feeding tube, that means you're probably not eating by mouth. Usually you can, but not always. Um, and so that can cause some challenges for keeping the mouth clean and reduce the, uh, the bacteria. So the bacteria is really what causes the infection. And if you're additionally somebody who's not really mobile and you're not taking good care of your mouth, that's gonna lead to more of an infection risk. So that's why we stress the importance of oral care. You're, I mean, you're probably really good at keeping your mouth clean, but when you're in the hospital and or you're bed bound and you don't have the capability to brush your own teeth or even rinse your mouth out and you're kept NPO, which means nothing by mouth, that bacteria is going to grow exponentially and you can develop all these conditions, uh, as you see here, a thrush, a xerostomia, which is a dryness in the mouth. You can get cavities this way and of course pneumonia. So we really focus on good oral hygiene um, before and after eating to minimize that bacteria. If we can manage that, even if we're aspirating, the risk of developing an infection is significantly reduced. So that should be the goal, um, again, depending on the situation. And of course your dentures, if you're wearing any sort of uh, partials or um, any kind of dentures that are loose or maybe not loose, but as you go to sleep, you don't take them out, they can, and I've seen this, they end up in the airway, <laughs> or at least, as you can see on the images here, this is kind of that throat, part of the throat that's just above the airway um, that they can get stuck, and then you need surgical intervention <laughs> to get them out. And that does not, uh, that's not fun. So uh, be mindful of your dentures, is all I'm saying. That, come, that goes hand in hand with oral care. All right, and we would be, it's important to kind of talk about the pills and pill dysphagia because it's so ingrained in our culture. I almost think that we all have to deal with this. If we take any kind of medication, and we know that on average, we really take tons of pills um, as we get older, there's more and more pills are, are being prescribed. Um, even this saying, we, we have an idiom in our language, it's a hard pill, something is a hard pill to swallow. It's just, it just, signals to me how prevalent this issue is. Uh, pills really are hard to swallow. 
uh, there's a lot of ways that we can help deal with it. Um, it just depends on what the situation is. So if you're able to take a whole pill, sometimes it can go down easier if you put it in a puree type of consistency like applesauce or pudding or yogurt, um, depending on what would be more beneficial for absorption. In some cases, you can crush the medication, but not always, so it's always good to check with the doctor first. And sometimes you see people kind of throwing their head back, like in the picture, to take the pill a little easier. While that can help, and if you're okay with it, that's fine. I'm just gonna point out that when you do that, you open up your airway, and then the pill or the liquid that you take it with will have an easier time going down the wrong way because your airway is wide open and our goal is to close it when you swallow. <laughs> so probably don't do that. Um, sometimes if you just try to generate a little more pressure when you swallow by squeezing those lips really tight, that can create more of a driving force and more pressure for getting the pill down, um, especially if you place it on the back of the tongue, which is what I suggest you do instead of throwing the head back. And if all of this fails and you're still having trouble with uh, taking pills, definitely um, talk to your doctor about changing the intake route of the medication. So maybe you can take a different form, uh, liquid or some other form of medication, depending on your situation. So I just wanted to touch on that um, pill dysphagia real quick. Um, to really take a closer look at what's going on with the medications when uh, and whether it's solids or liquids or whatever you're taking, it's uh, really going to be important that we get an instrumental assessment. And that's where the speech therapist comes in because we are uniquely qualified professionals to really take care of the swallow problem. But first we need imaging. So imagine if you break your arm or your leg or you have a pain in, an, in a limb, you come to the hospital and you say, you know, this really hurts, uh, what can I do? to to help uh you know doctor help me the doctor is not just going to put a cast on your arm they're going to get an x-ray they're going to figure out what's going on and uh try to help you that way first so same thing with the swallow we're going to need to get imaging first to see where exactly is the problem is it in that first phase of the swallow is it in the throat is something obstructing is something out of alignment is um is there I mean, really, there's a whole slew of issues that could be uh, happening. Um, is it a neurological deficit? So some of the structures and muscles are not moving the way they should. Um, just like you saw in that normal video, that's what a normal swallow looks like. Some of these images uh, will show us, uh, the instrumental studies will reveal if there is a problem, and then we can target the intervention. We can determine what the issue really is and address that issue instead of just blindly throwing exercises at you or trying all kinds of different things and wasting your time. So the two types of images you see here are a video swallow study. Uh, also, um, we, we have different <laughs> terminology for it, but anyway, a modified video swallow study or a video fluoroscopic. Um, that's the top image, which is a video x-ray. This is not invasive. It's done and with radiologists, usually at a hospital setting, although there are some mobile companies that will come to you with the whole radiology kind of van and do the x-ray in the van. But anyway, uh, it's done with a radiologist who operates the fluoro equipment and then the speech therapist will um, perform the study and trial different consistencies that are coated with barium that you have to drink and see how they go down 
following that contrast material all the way through and then trying also different strategies, maybe um, turning your head or tucking your chin or holding the liquid before you swallow, holding your breath, doing different um, techniques that you may or may not have been already uh, taught by the speech therapist prior to the study. Um, if it's a repeat study, then assessing if the progress was made. So we can really take a closer look on the x-ray and see um, how it looks. Similarly, we can take a scope and this is the lower image here that you see is a um, fiber optic endoscopic examination of the swallowing. And that's where the um, endoscope is inserted through the nose and we kind of get a bird's eye view of the larynx uh, as you see here. And we can look at the tissue and the secretions and where that liquid or food is going because we add a little blue coloring to it. And we can really um, look closer at the structures uh, to see what's happening. So both of these types of tests have um, benefits, a lot of benefits, um, but they're still a little different from each other. So often it is best practice, I think, to get both done if possible, or at least one to before you start the intervention to really um, address specifically what the problem is. So this is where the speech therapist plays an integral role and you always need a physician's order to get one of these um, done. So. Um, and additionally, if uh, even before doing this or after doing these studies, sometimes a bedside swallow evaluation will occur. And that's when the speech therapist will present different foods and talk to you about different things that are happening with your swallow, try different things and kind of go from there. So in many cases, dysphagia can improve with intervention. There's been a lot of success stories. I've had a lot of patients who really make fabulous progress, um, but it does take a lot of work. So if you're committed, you do your exercises, you really work with a therapist, uh, you can make a lot of progress. Uh, these are just images here of the more high-tech devices that we use, some um, electrodes that can be placed um, wherever on the face or throat and give biofeedback or give electrical stimulation to activate those muscles, to do your exercises and really get that feedback as you go. So these are just some examples of that. And um, when you think about a speech, a speech and language pathologist, uh, these are just some examples of where they can be found. Um, just keep in mind, we're not simply like the food or the diet police. <laughs> we're trying to really work with you on maybe modifying your diet or using compensatory techniques, um, strategies, things that will help you eat safer and easier, um, but we're not there to like police you. So we try to work together and, and take in mind, take into consideration your goals um, so, so we can really help you out. Um, but again, I work in an acute care setting in a hospital, but many others, and I have worked in all of these places before, um, currently, with the pandemic, there's a lot of services that are offered through teletherapy, and I think that's a really beneficial service because you you can reach um, a lot more individuals this way. And there's a lot that we can still do even remotely for for speech and swallow therapy. Um, so the website listed here, um, www.asha.org, asha.org is our association, the National Association for Speech and Hearing um, Professionals. On there, there is a directory of um, providers 
that are either a speech language pathologist or an audiologist that you can look up in your area if you're looking for services that way. And also, I should mention they're listing anybody that's also bilingual or what languages they speak. If you're looking for um, therapists that are specifically of your native language. So what we do do while we're not the diet police, we may modify the diet to kind of help you with that struggle. So if you're, it, again, it depends on our assessment. It depends on where the challenge is. And after we do the instrumental assessment, we can have a better idea of whether or not certain liquids, the thin liquids or the thicker liquids, which ones go into the airway, which ones don't, and why. The bigger question is why does that happen? Why are you having trouble? Why does it go down the wrong way? So once we figure out that reason, then we can modify the diet or not uh, if we're working on using good strategies with you. So these are just um, examples of the diet consistencies that we use uh, to uh, um, kind of work with you and assess what, what goes down better. The recent implementation of this new, this is a new framework that was established about five, six years ago, and it is a new standardized kind of international uh, initiative. Um, it's something that allows providers across all facilities uh, institutions, countries, really trying to reach all the countries right now that are participating uh, to start using the same consistency levels that are measured and standardized uh, to just one standard. So that if you go wherever you go, whatever doctor, whoever you talk to, they will know what level of diet you're on. So this is a pretty big undertaking. Um, I just wanted you to be aware of the different um, consistencies that you can have. Uh, with solid foods, we have regular texture foods, which is just anything you eat that's regular. Then you have the next step down is some foods that are a little softer, that are kind of cut up more for you, easier to chew, things that are just um, softer to get down. And then we have uh, the next level would be more ground foods that are more, even more softer and kind of chopped up and ground up more. Um, and the next level is the puree foods, which are still considered solid, but they're like your mashed potatoes and your yogurts, uh, puddings and things like that, that will really slide down easier and not require so much chewing. So if your issue is more of that oral phase, uh, sometimes that, that could be the challenge. If there's um, missing teeth or uh, any kind of oral cancer, anything that impacts that ability to chew the food, um, sometimes we do recommend a puree uh, consistency. And with liquids, similarly, we have different consistencies that may or may not go down better, uh, that are easier to manage. There's a lot of pros and cons to these that I don't know if I should go into such detail, but just so you know, they are available over the counter. There's thickeners, as you see here, by different companies, pre-thickened cups that are available. You can purchase and use um, as needed. This should be uh, discussed with your speech and language pathologist or doctor, um, whoever you're working with um, first, of course. And the website I listed here at simplythick.com is one such provider that has excellent resources 
um, on their website that you can also read further about. Um, just keep in mind that if you're using a thickened liquid, and these thickeners can be added to anything, coffee, juice, tea, um, I, you know, I've tried adding it to like beer and alcoholic beverages, but it just doesn't, that's, I don't recommend that. Um, <laughs> so, um, they, they don't alter the taste. They really just add, um, that thickened, uh, co consistency so that the liquid itself becomes thicker and takes a little longer to travel down and allowing you more time to prepare for the swallow instead of just falling right into your airway if that is the issue you're experiencing. So just keep in mind that adding ice to any of these uh, drinks with a thickener will thick will um, have the opposite effect so it will uh, kind of thin it down because the ice will melt and add more liquid. Um, so just kind of thinking about that. And so anything that's uh, creamy, soups or shakes, um, sometimes those are okay. Uh, if you're taking supplements like Ensure, those are considered thicker than regular liquid, um, especially if they're chilled. Um, and really this can be the consistency of the liquid can be tested using the standardized assessment that we talked about those developed by the ITSI guidelines um, using a 10cc syringe. So there is a way to test if you're really interested um, to really see what consistency you're using um, all the time. Um, so these are just for your information, um, also provided in any hospital setting or over the counter. You can order these online uh, if needed. Again, there's pros and cons to using thickeners. Our goal is always to promote hydration. So if you're someone that needs a thickened liquid, but you absolutely refuse to drink it, that's going to impact your ability to stay hydrated. And so you and your speech therapist or doctor will need to look at how you can incorporate regular liquids into your diet. Uh, is there a safe way for you to swallow between meals, regular liquids, but with a meal, a thickened liquid? So there's a lot of different ways around it. Um, again, keeping your goals in mind, a uh, speech therapist needs to assess that further. Um, and so additionally, Sometimes uh, one of the challenges is um, with cognitive deficits, uh, dementia, anything that impacts your sensory input or your ability to kind of pace the intake, um, that can create a lot of challenges with the swallow if you're going really fast. And so these devices here um, with the straw or with the cup you see here, they're really meant to control the rate. So the, um, this is called a Proveil cup or a safe straw, for example. Those will allow only five or 10, depending on which one you get, cc's of liquid in at a time. So if you're trying to take in more and you're trying to go fast, it won't let you. So this is one way that we use adaptive equipment to really help kind of pace and support a safe swallow. So whatever uh, the situation may be, the therapist will work with you uh, on, on one of these uh, strategies if needed. Um, just as an FYI, for anybody, even if you're not suffering from dysphagia, these foods are really challenging. Um, anything that is a grainy or loose texture, it doesn't form a cohesive bolus, will not go down as easily um, because of the pieces that you're trying to chew may fall into your open airway because as you're chewing, you're breathing. So the airway is open. 
And if you ever try talking when you're chewing, that's the same thing that happens. Your airway's opening, but you've got food in there, so that's where it's gonna go. The path of least resistance. And so we wanna avoid anything that is too loose um, or grainy or difficult to swallow that way. Um, and the dual textures are also challenging. It's when the liquid and the solid is combined. Um, the same thing kind of happens. As you're chewing, the liquid is gonna fall back and in the back of your throat and can go down the wrong way because you're still chewing, so you're not really preparing for the swallow. So any kind of dual texture like you see here, the soups um, that are got that thin broth, but something chewable, or the very juicy fruits and vegetables, the fruit cups, those are always very tricky to control, especially if you're having a, a dysphagia or symptoms um, that, that are making it challenging. Um, so just a little more food for thought. If you're using a cup and you're drinking from a cup versus a straw, you may run into different challenges. Each one has its benefit um, and a time and place for it. So we assess for which kind of modality makes it easier to swallow with. Um, straws often make us suck in a lot of air first, um, and that's when we open the airway. Um, and we don't want to do that because we want to keep the airway closed. So for some people, uh, using a straw makes it more challenging. Also then a straw um, sort of makes you take a larger sip. So the rate and the amount of liquid coming in is faster and bigger, and that can be challenging to swallow if you're struggling uh, with dysphagia. And obviously being fully alert when you're eating and sitting upright when you're eating is going to make all the difference. <laughs> um, if you're taking um, anything that is um, like jello or ice cream, that's often considered a thin liquid because it slides right down. So be mindful of that, it's just considered thin. Um, and then if you're feeling like you're running a marathon when you're trying to eat and you're running out of breath, sometimes it just helps to keep the portions smaller and take more throughout the day, take rest breaks, so you don't run out of air uh, when you're doing that. And that goes back to the challenge with the um, breathing, coordinating the breathing with the swallow. And of course, you want to make sure you're taking all your medications as prescribed so that if any medications are time released, you don't crush them. Or you're taking your, if you have Parkinson's, taking a Cinemed and whatever may be necessary on time. If you're on a diuretic, you're, you're not taking it close to bedtime, so you're not running <laughs> to pee all night. Um, it's the same thing, just making sure everything is taken on time. Um, and of course, we kind of touched a little bit on reflux, which is that regurgitation, heartburn, pain with um, taking something that irritates that esophageal lining. Maybe the, the lower esophageal sphincter doesn't quite close all the way, so it causes contents from the stomach to come back up. Maybe there's a narrowing, so it doesn't actually open and things get stuck and won't go down. So it's being backed up and coming back up, all that is going to cause a lot of challenges to allow you to swallow comfortably and safely because if it flows back up, it can very easily spill over into the airway. So again, taking your medications for that, if it's a proton pump inhibitor, you know, make sure you take it um, and then work with the gastroenterologist to assess what needs to be done. Uh, further imaging, further intervention, whatever may be the case, because that's going to make all the symptoms appear more challenging. Um, and the listed here is, are just some strategies you can follow when you are experiencing reflux. Certainly don't eat foods that aggravate it more. So all the good stuff, 
all the fatty and spicy and acidic and caffeinated and alcoholic and chocolatey and all those good foods, you gotta avoid those. Um, you wanna stay upright for at least an hour after eating and a few hours before going to bed so that you don't lie down and have it all come back up after. Um, and then it depends on whether it's helpful to take the liquid as you're eating, to drink some liquids and wash the food down or to wait until you're done and drink um, after. So that, that depends on the situation. Uh, obviously not wearing tight fitting clothing to not obstruct um, anything. Uh, and then, like I said, follow up with the gastroenterologist um, and, you know, smoking can make it worse too. So um, we talked about some of the aspiration risks and some of the aspiration precautions to take are just, again, common sense things. It, you just have to stay on top of it. No talking when you're eating. We discussed why. Uh, sitting upright, going slow, whatever the case may be to allow yourself to swallow safely. Those are just simple things you can do. And if you wanted to read more about dysphagia or um, check out some other resources, those are listed here. Um, as I mentioned, some of the companies that produce the thickeners like Simply Thick have a lot of good information and um, really are a good resource. The International uh, Dysphagia Diet Initiative is, is a good place to check it out as well. Um, there are some blogs and other websites you can read, such as the Dysphagia Cafe and the Association of the Speech and Hearing um, Professionals, uh, the American Speech and Hearing Association, which is ASHA.org. And then I have a, a website as well. I'm also found um, on Facebook at uh, Speak With Ease. So, Olga, how can people find you? Thanks for asking, Jason. I can be reached by email. That's my last name, Goncharov. G-O-N-C-H-A-R-O-V dot Olga at gmail.com. Phone number, you can actually just call me. I will you know, text or call 248-470-5774. Or I'm also on Facebook at Speak With Ease. And you can find me on there. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Olga. As far as Knowledgeable Aging, you can go to our website, uh, knowledgeableaging.com. You can find all of our upcoming and archive webinars. You can also go to YouTube. When you get to YouTube, type in Knowledgeable Aging. We encourage you to subscribe. We update that four to five times per week. If podcasts are your thing, you can find us on Apple Tunes, Spotify, etc. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.